Welcome to the Time Lords Podcast. We go beyond the buzzwords to learn exactly how people are building the industrial internet of things and using time series data to transform their businesses. I'm your host, Lonnie Bowling. Today, I'm excited to be joined by guest David Rodriguez, who is a senior analytics and intelligent engineer at EDF Renewables, who does, uh, the EDF does wind and solar. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Well, hello there. Good to be here. Thanks. So for our listeners that don't know you, could you share a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, I do analytics stuff with EDF. Um, I primarily, what I like to describe it as is uh, working with all our operational data that we have available in the Pi system and elsewhere if we can manage to bring it in and uh, turn that like raw data into something usable for our operations um, in an automated way. So we can actually make better decisions in our operations and therefore uh, improve efficiency, uh, uh, make more revenue, uh, increase safety with those kind of end results. Excellent. So how long have you been with EDF? Oh man, it's been like three and a half years. I started off as a consultant uh, for a good year and then I transferred to full-time. Yeah. All right. Cool. And full disclosure, David and I have actually been working together over this period of time. I've been uh, doing some con- con- contract work with EDF, and I've been worked worked with David quite closely on a number of projects. So that's why I wanted to have him on the podcast because he's an awesome guy, and um, and it'd be interesting to see some of the stuff that he has <laughs> going on. Yeah, I, I see you way too much, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and before EDF, where did where were you? Uh, I was at, uh, so technically I was at that consulting company, uh, okay. TSP, um, but before that I was actually uh, an employee of OSIsoft, mm-hmm. working out of the Philly office. And what were you doing there? Um, at the time it was called uh, Customer Support Engineer, uh-huh. which would mean that you would rotate between technical support and field service. Okay. And and so what, what, what prompted you to move out of uh, that role and then into the role that you're in now? I mean... Uh, what was that? What was a what was the uh, the idea behind that move? Oof. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna be uh, straightforward here. <laughs> um, I was uh, asked to leave by my manager. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a it was a situation where uh, being brought on at OSIsoft, mm-hmm. uh, I was told that uh, you would rotate between these two positions, uh, tech support and field service, for the first year. Mm-hmm. After which point, you would be able to choose uh, the direction you wanted to go. And so, I mean, I knew coming on, like, I probably was not going to enjoy the tech support side of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really was interested in the field service side. Um, after about a year and a half of still not being able to get into field service, um, it just, I, I realized that it was not going to be, uh, it just wasn't working out. Right. Um, so, uh, to be honest, I was like just okay with tech support, but not great. Um, right. Unfortunately, my manager was a tech support manager, so that was the lens that they viewed me through. Sure. Um, I would like to think, I mean, I, of course, it's just me saying that. I would like to think uh, I was doing pretty pretty good on the mm-hmm. field service side. Um, I was actually really, really enjoying that. Um, that's mm-hmm. a lot of fun, flying out to customer sites, uh, teaching them how to use the stuff, like you know, understanding what their problems are. Um, that's a really good time. But um, but yeah, I was uh, mainly only looked at through the lens of uh, tech support. I, I did not uh, uh, make it so subtle that I wanted to be in field service. And eventually, <laughs> I guess I, I stepped on the wrong toes too many times. And uh, Yeah, what, it happens. Um, yeah. 
I think all of us have been, I know I personally have been in, in situations where it was not ideal for me and it kind of manifested itself through my performance maybe. Um, even though I could be a performer, but I kind of got to care about what I'm doing. And yeah, if, uh, if, exactly. that, if that falls for the wayside, it's like it's game over. Whether I leave or I get kicked out, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end that way. Yeah. So we won't okay. dwell on those dark times, David. <laughs> we'll move on to more happier times. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, I mean, at the time, like I, I, had, to, I had to figure out, like, do I really have like what what it takes here and mm -hmm. um i've managed to prove that to myself and um, i'm quite proud of it actually yeah um, well i think you know that that's what they say right if you survive it it's going to make you stronger so so yeah so now that you're you're kind of out in the world and you've been you know you've been doing projects and you've been um you know you've done several projects now and you know seeing what how they start and you know what it takes to complete something and then and then see it like get put into action which you're you know if you're going to reflect back to your back to your support days um you know have you you know what do you what do you know now that maybe you didn't you didn't realize then um you know and if you were to go into a role where you're going to like have to flip around again not that that's going to happen but you know how, how how is this has how has this maybe made you better at what you're doing yeah uh yeah you could you can't make me go back <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah i've i mean for one, I mean, you kind of know the real world is going to be a bit messier than all the clean example templates you work around with uh, internally at OSISoft. But man, is it really even more so than you expect? I mean, the real world is quite messy. Um, I feel like a lot of the skill set that I've built over the last few years is really just uh, being able to implement techniques that account for all the variability that comes with uh, real world operations. Uh, you know, inconsistent references, um, the exceptions for how things are calculated. I, mean, I always like to say, like, exceptions are the rule uh, mm -hmm. here at EDF. So we, um, yeah, that's a, a very uh, core skill. Um, in general, I've, uh, like, I, I also had a feeling that I would enjoy this more, but the, the analogy I make is, like, for the Pi system being, like, a bike is, like, the developers design the bike, a field service engineer kind of assembles the bike together and teaches a customer how to use the bike, but nobody ever gets to ride the bike mm -hmm. unless you're like really at, at like a customer like this. And um, I, I really enjoy riding the bike. That's <laughs> yeah. That's a great, that's a great analogy. I like that. So, so you're on the bike, you're riding it. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, at, you know, as an engineer, you're you're asked to do a lot of technical stuff, right? But I've seen you having to get involved in the people side of things. So, what's yes. what's that experience been like for you? Uh, I mean, I deal with a variety of people. Uh -huh. um, the The people I like to deal with most are the ones with experience with who are directly involved in the operations, because, like, in my mind, the the Pi system was originally intended for those operators who don't have software expertise, but you know, the Pi systems are designed in a way where if you learn enough about it, uh, uh, someone in the operations can actually implement like data solutions, which is really useful. But I'm coming at it from the other direction. Like I have intimate knowledge of the system, but I don't have that operational expertise. So we really do fit together like pieces of a puzzle to make like a real solution. So in terms of dealing with people, that's um, those are the people that, that I most like to, to work with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do you, I mean, how do you find those people when you're working on projects? Do they just magically appear or do you have to go hunt them down or, you know, how does, how does that end up, how does that partnership end up happening? 
Um, you know, I, I wish there was a more uh, like official support, I guess, in doing this. But um, yeah, we we really need more of that um, in what we're doing. Um, recently, I have started to go out of my way to talk with site managers and really just try and listen. Um, just say like, hey, what what are the problems you're you're dealing with day to day? And I mean, we've been addressing those in, in previous solutions, but I feel like it's always come through an indirect route to us. And I think there's something really uh, special and 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 practical when you when you directly connect uh, the, the data expertise and the operational expertise. So, um, yeah, that's the uh, the main way I see it. Yeah, I, I've um, actually, you know, you hit on a note that's been mentioned. You know, I don't I haven't done a lot of podcast episodes yet. I think this might be like the seventh or eighth one. But uh, there's this notion that that comes up over and over, and it's, you know, for successful projects, they're talking about like digital transformation type of things. And and one of the things that everybody keeps mentioning is that, you know, for 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 success. There kind of has to be this partnership with people that are that really understand the business, you know, the the, the operations part of the business. If there's a lot of like like data science people will come in, and they don't understand maybe wind or solar at all, and they need to have somebody that really understands that that how that how that works at, from an operational perspective to be able to partner with them. And I think in this situation, even though it's not maybe specifically data science, it's still these these technical projects. And what you're saying is exactly uh, uh, what I've heard before. You know, having having that expert, that person that really understands what the problem is, and, and is able to work uh, with you to help you uh, understand that problem, it, it, yeah. it allows you to be successful. Because otherwise, you're just kind of guessing, right? And you don't know if you're going to do what really is needed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how yeah. else are you going to make a solution that makes a difference in your operations if you don't have that involvement of your operations it seems obvious but it's it's crazy how it just isn't as common as yeah yeah i think sometimes you know um it just there's there's these projects that are identified through various people in management you know and maybe it was an initiative or whatever that came down and 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 some people kind of completely outside of that circle of of the actual people doing operations made some decisions about what would be done and then that gets handed to a team to actually do and 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 nowhere along the way was there really like that much involvement from the people that would actually be using that system, right? Yeah. Um, which I, which I leads a, to problems. <laughs> yes, yes, and I have a theory on this. I think, um, so I, I think we're kind of put in the software developer bucket. Uh, and in my mind, like when you put when I say putting things into buckets, you're categorizing, and whenever you categorize, you assign information to something that isn't true and you also leave out information that should be there. So if you put someone like me in a bucket, like I consider myself an operational intelligence solution provider, but I am not a software developer. I mean, I, I studied mechanical engineering. I learned how to code during college, but like not like, I don't know the, like the way to properly deploy something via source tree or managing code, anything like that. Um, but yeah, what happens is you get interpreted as someone who only knows about, who only knows or cares about the code, and all they need is requirements. And you know, one of the systems that you typically find software developers involved with is Scrum. And so in Scrum, you sit behind a product owner, 
and the product owner is the one that insulates you very, very graciously, you know, it's, it's keeping all the, the business requirements, you know, from coming directly at you at bay and, and just, you know, uh, feeding you the requirements that they're finding. But in reality, someone like me needs to interact directly with the operations to understand really and truly what's going to help them. And so I, that, that's the kind of way that it's manifesting itself that, that I'm uh, trying, to, trying to work through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. Um, yeah, I think that I agree because it's kind of like, um, you know, you have a skill and you can be defined by that skill, you know, so, and, and some people be, some people that's really kind of what they're after, right? They, they just want to do that thing and they don't, <laughs> they don't want to do anything else. Um, mm -hmm. but, I, but yeah, I think that, uh, in, in many instances, it's, it's quick to to look at people in a company as skills. This person is good at this thing. This other person is good at this other thing. And um, if you need that done, then you have that person do it. Otherwise, you're not gonna not gonna talk to them, right? Um, yeah. Which isn't necessarily a great thing because there's a business here, and we're in the context of a business, right? The whole context. Um, I always talk about, uh, I don't know if I even mentioned this to you that much, but my first job, my first real job in the world was working at Taco Bell. And, uh, you know, uh, it's no funny. It's funny, man. Uh, I, I rose up the ranks at Taco Bell. They were going to fire me on my first week because I was so bad at it. I was just, uh, <laughs> you know what they do with new people at Taco Bell? What's that? They put them on the cash register to talk to customers. Oh, man. Yeah, it's rough. That's like the <laughs> that's like the hardest job, man. <laughs> and I was I was, I sucked. Um, I was like so I was just yeah. Anyway, I finally got I finally got my act together and uh, yeah, I became a um, full fledged shift manager at the, at the pinnacle of my Taco Bell career. But uh, but but you know, there's a you know you could they could teach you how to make tacos. They could teach you how to uh, how to uh, use a cash register or you know this this day and age how to use all the uh, the fancy um, electronic payment systems. But you know, but they they teach you kind of the business too. You know, they teach you the business, and I had I learned all about how the store made money. Um, you know, I learned about how to manage, uh, how to manage schedules and, and all that, all those types of things. I learned like the whole operation and, and man, some of those things I learned, they have stayed with me because, you know, where if, if all I ever learned when I was, when I was at Taco Bell is to use a cash register and make a taco, that probably would not have helped me much in life unless I was going to have a taco for lunch. Uh, <laughs> otherwise I was like, you know, big deal. And I think, I think it's the same thing, right? In your situation, right? Where it's, you know, the more that you can learn about what's happening and why we're doing something, the more that it'll make sense to you and the better that you can actually do whatever it is that you need to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how else are you going to uh, do something that makes a difference if you don't know what you're making a difference with? Yeah. Yeah. And so like when you get into wind and solar, like, what are some of the things that you're driving, driving at when you're talking to people about, you know, problems and things like that? What's your, what's your line of questioning? Do you have a, do you have a strategy? Uh, well, first, especially if we're talking operations, uh, per personnel, I, I just, I want to make sure to listen. Um, I, I don't want to try and, uh, 
dictate that conversation because I, I don't know and they know. Mm-hmm. So I need to I need to hear from them and not steer the conversation in a way that that takes us away from what what matters most. Um, but really, I mean, end result is that you need these turbines to run for more time than they already are than, than what they know and actually help them get their full potential, help turn those wind into dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, call outs, of course, is, is a, a pretty prime uh, example of that that we worked on. Yeah. Um, and for the folks that don't know what call outs are, you want to just like give a quick summary of that project? Oh, man. All right. Uh, you do a quick summary. We're gonna, I got some other questions for you, so don't spend too much time on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, uh, wind turbines, they have a whole bunch of equipment in them. They're rotating, large rotating equipment, and they can break anytime, day or night. Um, they don't really care what time of day it is when something blows out. And um, But we have a site maintenance crew, a site, site crew that, that uh, works at the site, and um, they just work normal crew shift hours. But uh, it's possible that a turbine could go down when they're gone. Um, and so if, if we don't get somebody on site to bring the turbines back online, then they would miss out on producing all that electricity through like overnight, or maybe even over the weekend if the crew's not there. And, um, maybe that doesn't matter if there's not a lot of wind, maybe that matters a lot. if There's going to be a lot of wind, but, um, up until, um, we were working on this, they were basically using current wind speed as a way and, and number of turbines now to kind of guess at how much they really uh, stood to lose in terms of revenue. Um, but we instead went about trying to actually assign a dollar amount to these down turbines uh, outside of uh, crew shift hours to help them decide. So how did the project turn out after um, when, when you worked through all those things? What, um, what, what happened? How did, what was the result? Uh, end result, uh, one was a discovery phase. I mean, we, we realized that um, these callouts were uh, saving about two million a year, um, and that's actually uh, there's a lot more callouts that could be done. To like, there's probably um, this is more in the guesstimate territory, but like around five to six million uh, being lost from these down turbines outside cruise shift hours. So um, those were the the two big insights. Um, a lot of that that two million, uh, it's it's hard to say exactly what was not being made before. I mean, within the first month after uh, implementing this new, uh, this new solution, the number of call-outs jumped by 50%. Wow. Uh, so there was a lot more being done because they discovered, they didn't even know how much they were missing out on until they saw. And so they realized like, wow, we need to be doing these a lot more. And so um, not only were we, be able, we were able to show them that, we also helped them, helped them decide on which ones matter most because this actually takes into account the future wind as opposed to what they were doing currently with the current wind. I mean, the wind could drop off a cliff and then the call out really doesn't matter. So, we were so having, so that. having, so having more visibility really, um, changed things. It, it doubled the number of calls that they're doing. And plus this forecasting allowed them to prioritize these call outs where they were, those two things just basically weren't really happening. Yeah. And then it sounds like too that um, now you're able to track these things. So any future improvements, you're going you have some kind of baseline. Yeah, exactly. Now we have a baseline to work with, and I mean that's that's what happens when you bring about a new solution like this that's data driven. Is that if the previous way wasn't data driven, it's kind of hard to compare it to what was done before. Right. But um, but from what we can see, um, I've I've applied previous site callout criteria manually um, to some of our sites. 
And I mean, some of them I was finding like, for the most part, it was like 60% more uh, wow. calls. And I, and I think those call outs, I mean, I, and for sure those call outs were more efficient because we were actually, again, like I said, accounting that future, um, that future state. So what happened over at the site? You know, they, um, everybody started going out, having to, having to go uh, out off shift all the time a lot more. Did that cause any, uh, cause any problems? Oh, you know it. <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, and in and, and the presentation that, that we did, like, that's where I was saying, like, it, that's really when you have to take into account the human side of this solution is that there's people that got to wake up in the middle of the night and jump in the car and try and you know, potentially have to go and jump inside this turbine and figure it out. I mean, that's not a small ask. And you really need to, um, to factor in the whole solution, all the machines, all the people that take part in this process. And so... Um, uh, the best way that we went about trying to account for that was like, okay, if it's within, I think it was seven hours or so of the next shift starting anyway, like during that like critical, like I just need to get my sleep kind of phase, it had to be a really good reason for them to, to wake up and go. So we, I think we quadrupled the threshold oh, okay. um, in those cases. So yeah. you say basically if it's getting close to, for a person to come in, we're not going to wake them up and have them come in unless there's a lot of money to make because it doesn't make yeah. doesn't make sense to send somebody in early, disrupt their whole day, for yeah. you know for saving maybe a, a few hundred or a thousand dollars or whatever it might be, right? Just to turn a little bit of profit. I've I've told the regional and site managers that I was like, look, I don't want to be a guy sitting behind the keyboard that makes somebody else work themselves to the bone. Like that's just not like yeah. I don't know that that ain't that ain't right. Yeah. Um, you know, this has come up too in, in uh, I think I just had a podcast with uh, Ahmad Fatahi. I don't know if you know Ahmad or not. He's at OS, he used to be at OSSOP, now he's at Cisco. But we were talking about, we were talking about this and we were talking about how on data projects, um, companies are not necessarily prepared for the changes that may happen when a data project gets implemented. And I think this is an example of, of yeah. how when okay you know everybody was like oh it it's, makes sense right to do these more to do to do these callouts right and to have a better visibility and tracking and all that stuff perfect sense yeah let's do it why wouldn't we want to do it but now there's a uh, there's a procedural thing that has to be changed the approach to how you actually when you actually have somebody come out okay now that you know that you're going to call out people twice as often that changes Oh, changes yeah. changes how you're gonna you know what, what you're gonna do call sure. it. so this is a i think this is a great example of that where you know where when when any data project is uh is is talked about in the beginnings you kind of got you kind of got to look ahead a little bit and maybe in this case we wouldn't have known it anyway but but you know to, to ask the question how is this going to change how we be how we respond to these problems we had a certain way of responding in the past we do a data project now. We're making these these uh, dis we have these decision support uh, solutions. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that we have this uh, we have this crystal ball that we didn't have before. You know, uh, how is that going to change our our whole approach? And it does. It changes. It, it really does. Yeah, but it only happens with the buy-in of operations, and that's why it's an, another reason not just to educate the solutions you make, but also to increase the chance of adoption. Because I mean, nothing you can have all the fancy data in the world, yeah. but if it's not actually being acted upon, you're not making a difference. Yeah, like 
think about this on this project, right? If this project was a was a project from a manager and it was kind of like forced onto the operations, you know, because they're like, oh, you know, these guys aren't, they, they don't have any handle on their callouts. We need to get something for them. And then all of a sudden, they're, they had, they weren't included in it at all, right? Can you imagine? And then, uh, and then their phone starts ringing all the time. They're, you know, you know, Joe's at home with his, uh, with his wife and his baby. And, and he's getting up in the middle of the night now, like every night and going out and fixing these things where before it was like a couple times a week. Now it's like, you know, two, two times a night. And, and they'd be like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> then they'd be like, I, I think I'm going to look for another job. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I wouldn't blame them either. Uh, no, I mean. no, I would not at all. And so, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good point. I mean, you really have to include, you know, another reason to include, uh, the people that are going to be involved in, uh, that are going to have to deal with whatever the whatever the results are here, right? Yeah, and they're there, gonna... there's so much more to it than the company's bottom line. Yeah, you know, I I know that's what the business tries to optimize, but you, I mean, like I've I've said, is like you got to really take into account the human element of this, you know, and and there's a lot more that can be done with this type of technology. That's what I feel like is businesses do a, a good job at they're incentivized to find this these optimization routes and stuff like that but this type of technology is very powerful and i think there's other places that can be applied where it's uh it could it could create a lot of benefit mm -hmm. um, specifically like in, in humanitarian projects or environmental monitoring um, i think there's a lot that can be done I'm, I'm hoping i'm throwing like a beacon out there like i'm, I'm actually uh, actively seeking out um different uh, <laughs> you know, potential humanitarian projects to uh, try and get involved with and lend my expertise because I really do feel like there's a there's a lot of potential there. So what leads you to think there's a lot of potential? Uh, just because, because I already see the potential that's in industry and there's, I mean, I mean, uh, the, the analogy I like to use, like it uses you, you go into a company and then you find out how the sausage gets made. You know, but mm -hmm. it's, it's not pretty how the sausage gets made. You realize that there's so much room for improvement. And if that's industry and they have like all the monetary, uh, you know, financial motivations to use these solutions to improve, I can only imagine what's happening elsewhere where there isn't that, that strong of a monetary incentive or, um, and really, I just don't think there's very, there's very many people that are following this route to bring these skills in that direction. So I hope to be one of them. Mm -hmm. I hope to hope to see, uh, get some help from other people as well. Have you figured out like what, uh, what it would take to, to trans transfer this, uh, this knowledge and skills and expertise from, uh, you know, from a commercial type of situation, which is, which is typically where we're seeing it to, to a nonprofit humanitarian, Have you figured you know, out how, uh, how the transfer could happen. Well, we should schedule another podcast about a year from now. I'll <laughs> have a good answer for you. Uh, uh, but in my mind, um, the way I see it is like the example I use is like in increasing the, like the what you do to increase the uptime of a pump that pressurizes a midstream uh, oil and gas company's pipeline is you could either be optimizing that pump or you could be optimizing a pump that feeds water into a, a village or something like that that needs to be you know that's underserved. Mm -hmm. uh, I see that as like a, a pretty similar process. Uh, a lot of similar problems that could be uh, approached in a way that um, so far hasn't been uh, fully utilized. So, what do you think? Uh, what do you think stopping it from happening? I think there's a bit of. 
everyone's just, I feel, I feel like it's very, especially in this industry. And it makes sense. I mean, there's, there's a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of like uh, work to be done in the industry, but I just haven't seen, I haven't noticed as much awareness in, in trying to take it other directions. Um, I'm not fully sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so awareness is one of the things maybe people aren't um, even thinking along those lines at this point, right? It, um, it definitely exists to a certain extent in the research I've done. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I just know there's got to be a lot more, uh, a lot more to be done regarding that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got any next steps? Is something you're trying to tackle like over the next year? Any, any, any thoughts as far as where, what you're going to do? You know, yeah, there's a right chance now, to like, I mean, this podcast has millions of people listening to it every day. So <laughs> I know, I'm better just, follow up here. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. I wish I had millions of people, but uh, I probably have like tens. No, but anyway. it's, it's good. It's good that there's not, because otherwise I'd probably have some type of stage fright right now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's. Just wait, spitball, sorry, just spitballing it, man. No right, right or wrong answers here. Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, wait. What was the question again? Make just run you know, it by like, me again. like, like. What are you going to try to do? You know, over the next year, oh, you got any year. any things yeah. you're going to like try to uh, maybe explore along these lines? Any yeah. you know anybody you want to talk to? I don't know what what it is. Yeah. What's, what, what you're what you're thinking along? Well, mentally, I got to get past this this move to Brooklyn here. This happening in the next yeah. week or so. Um, but once I once I'm able to clear up that that uh, that type of mental capacity, I'm gonna. Um, what I've previously done is try and seek out organizations that try to bring in so like they say like technological information in, uh, sorry technological innovation into humanitarian assistance they have a variety of projects they have a variety of people working on it and i was just trying to get my in there but it's crazy how people just don't respond to this type of stuff um so and i think it was actually your original advice on this um a while back uh, if you even remember but like you, you said like find an existing project and just try and see how you can help them out. So I definitely have shifted focus to like, all right, I just need to seek out a specific project as opposed to like a, a group that does this thing as a whole. So um, that's kind of where I've started to go down. I'll, I'll have to update you uh, a bit later on what happens. Yeah, you know, and maybe, you know, I know I joked about how many people listen to this podcast, but we do have people in the industry that, that do listen to this podcast. Um, maybe not a lot at this point. It's a new podcast, but, you know, it could grow. So, you know, if, if, if anybody listening to this, you know, has ideas on how to help David out here on trying to trying to move forward with with applying uh, industrial IoT technologies to the humanitarian space, you know, um, please contact him. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. Uh, you know, because I, I do believe it's a, a lot of there's a network effect around everything. Yeah. You know, if you if you know somebody that knows somebody, and you get an introduction. All of a sudden, that could open up a door that that you've been looking to have open and you just didn't even maybe know the door was there. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is a, this is a potential path for me to get where I want to go. So. Yeah. Appreciate the plug, Lonnie. Yeah. I'm trying to do my part here, man. (laughs) (laughs) So you're moving to Brooklyn uh, and you know, you you got that going on. There's, there's COVID. We're in the midst of COVID-19 frenzy and and everything. And and, uh, so, you know, it's, it's probably been, um, yeah, it's been pretty hectic. So how are you, you know, how are you managing, uh, work-wise, you know, has, has, have things changed for you work-wise or is it still, you know, um, things still cruising along normal or, is, or are you having any, any yeah. make adjustments? 
I mean, work-wise, it hasn't felt very different because uh -huh. I've been doing the remote thing for the past, uh, well, since I was working at EDF, even as a consultant. So the past three and a half years, I've, uh, I've worked as a consultant, or sorry, as uh, remotely. And like I say, it's like, I ain't going back to the office. You, yeah. you can't make me do it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I would need like a call from SpaceX, you know, uh -huh. and just be like, hey, we need you <laughs> in our office to figure out how to like land the, the Starship, you know, the, the Starship booster. I'm like, I'm, right. I'm there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, like I'm not going back. Uh, so it hasn't been very, very different for me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I have uh, tried to focus on uh, just like maybe like a, a small mantra for this this quarantine time, which was sharpen your body, sharpen your mind. Um, so uh, sharpen your body didn't work out too well. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the uh, but the sharpen your mind part, like I, what I was really trying to focus on was building skills and actually oriented towards this this uh, humanitarian assistance. I wanted, I knew for a fact that a lot of these places, they're not even going to have the necessary data streams in order to uh, actually see what's happening in a place where you need to, to make a difference. So to actually be able to implement cheap sensors in a field mm -hmm. and bring them in uh, to wherever it may be, it may be Pi, it may not be Pi. Um, that'd be neat if we could uh, find that arrangement, but mm -hmm. I'm not expecting that. So I'm learning a whole stack of technology uh, to try and implement uh, these kind of solutions, at least what I expect them to be like, mm -hmm. um, which could itself have professional benefit. But um, but that was kind of my my big thing uh, over over quarantine was sharpen your body, sharpen your mind, and do a something, do it in a way that helps you work towards what you want to do. Okay, well, we we probably still have like a, a year left of this thing, so <laughs> you have some, you have more time. Uh, so we need to point. check, we need to check back with you. I think that's cool though. You know, if you could, if you could figure out, you know, at least, uh, at least starting getting familiar with cost and sensors and, you know, how to, how to do things cheaply, but still maybe uh, good enough to solve some kind of a problem. You got that in your back pocket as far as a, a, yep. a something you could pull out in, in the, in the situation that once you find a project or you find a team or a group or whatever it might, however it might manifest itself, mm -hmm. when you're ready to do something, um, you know, you've got more, you know, you've got more options, things you know that are going to be needed, even though you don't know where you're going to be able to use them yet. You just, yeah. you realize it price and, and cheap, you know, cheap inexpensive sensors are going to be part of pretty much any solution you could imagine. Right. Sure. Yeah, there's um, yeah, there's definitely a lot more I need to do, and, and unfortunately, I wish. I mean, the best way I learn is having a a discrete, a concrete use case to work mm -hmm. with. So it has been a bit hard to like. Well, let's just try out fog lamp and you know read in some sensor data. Mm -hmm. Like it's best if I'm actually trying to solve a particular problem uh, with that. So that's something I need to get on for sure. Yeah, I I mean I I, I kind of work both ways personally. Um, I'll spend just kind of dedicated time Not I don't, I don't like carve out a, every week or something. I'm not that, you know, specific about it, but I'll, especially when I'm kind of feeling a little burned out with everything, I'll kind of go, uh, I'll kind of like, just kind of look around, uh, you know, for something that, that, that's interesting that I, that I've never heard of before that's in my space. And I'll just kind of like go do some research and do a little, maybe a little hello world experiment with it. And then I may never use it again. And it might have just been fun. Uh, I just did that. that matter of fact, I, did, I just did that the other day with uh, Blazer. Have you ever heard of Blazer? No. What's that? Um, so it's 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 Microsoft technology, and it's basically their web development platform. So it's kind of like, you know, how you have Angular and Vue and all this other stuff. Well, Microsoft has a fully. It's all C sharp, uh, and it's kind of all integrated. 
Hmm. And you can and you go into Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code, and you write your entire application. It's kind of like uh, there used to be in the old days. There used to be ASP.NET, which was like the HTML, hmm. and then you had these controllers and stuff. Your API, and so to me, what Blazor is is kind of like the uh, it's like the new rethought way of doing this. And um, I created a a Signal R. Are you familiar with Signal R? No, not even. Sig- not Signal R is like a published subscription uh, mechanism to transfer data from a uh, from a server to a client. So if you have a dashboard and you want it to like be live and get data flowing into it, yeah. Signal R is a it's in C sharp. It's a C sharp framework. Signal R you could use that, and so it'll uh, you subscribe to a channel, and then that channel will just start feeding you data, whatever whatever that's supposed to be on that channel. So it's pretty cool. I've tried to use it in the past, and with not much success, it ha- it hasn't. It's there's been problems around it. So anyway, Signal R is kind of tricky. Uh, with with Blazor, I, I I went through a ten minute tutorial on how to do a Signal R project with Blazor. It was a chat room where you could fire up multiple instances, and uh, I wrote it. And then, um, and then it worked fine locally on my computer. I'd open up two browser windows, and I could chat to each other, and everybody subscribed to the channel. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And then I go, well, I'm going to deploy it to Azure because that's like the real test, right? Deploying it out. And so deploying it was a I, – I don't want to cuss on this podcast, but it, was a, it wasn't easy because um, the documentation wasn't good on deployment. Um, yeah. So finally, I just, I just kind of winged it and tried to deploy it on how I thought it could be deployed, and it worked. Yeah. And so I actually was able, I was actually able to open up my phone, go to the website, open up my computer, go to the website, and I was able to chat back and forth from my phone to my computer. Like, so it really worked. And that was like a 30, that was like a, maybe a one hour thing altogether. But I I did that just for fun. Um, Never know. And this is this is why I like having you as a friend, man, because you, <laughs> you figure out all these things and then all I have to do is ask you like, hey, like you've already figured out everything. Like, you know, I'm like, how, what's the best way to go about this? And you're like, all right, I got you. Yeah, and yeah, I wish. I'm I wish. on my way. There's so much to learn, so much to learn. And then now I'm on my exercise bike, you know, because I told you about my exercise bike. And uh, so now I'm watching these videos while I'm on my exercise bike. So it's kind of fun. It's like I'm exercising and uh, learning all these cool things that I'll probably never and, use. Turn it off for a bit. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I do. I listen to music when I, I had too much. <laughs> Can't take any more technology. Uh, so, David, we're pretty much out of time here. Uh, this has been a great, great, uh, great chat with you. So, for um, for those that want to get a hold of you, maybe especially on this humanitarian effort, would be really cool. How how can they reach Please. you? Uh, reach out to you. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess my uh, EDF email address is uh, david.rodriguez, uh, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z, at edf-re.com. Uh, yeah, look for, I, I uh, don't hesitate to ask any questions. Love, uh, love chatting it up. Awesome. Thanks. Perfect. Okay, Ruin, that's it for today. I'm Lonnie Bowling, and I hope you join me again next time for the Time Lords podcast.